Connor Buckley built his name in business across 20 years of graft for Press Up Entertainment and the world famous Dean Hotel in Dublin. The pandemic didn't just knock him off that perpetual loop of corporate sales, it brought him fatherhood and the chance to reflect on the mark he was going to leave on the world when his time was up. Human Collective Clothing is the new company he has created with a group of like-minded Irish people and it is as much about creating sustainable clothing using organic recycled materials as it is about pursuing and spreading this message of equality. Their mission is to make the best clothing while also donating three euros from every single jumper sold to Sari, LGBT Ireland and the Irish Youth Foundation. And as you'll hear, this is not about tokenism. It's actually about making a tangible, visible difference with each item sold. I had the chance to sit down with Connor and talk about what made him take the leap and how the goodness that underpins this venture actually attracts more goodness and hops him out of the bed every single morning. You're listening to an Irishman Abroad podcast from the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network with me, Jarlath Regan. There is a ton more of our stuff available on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to access everything we have made to support the show so that we can continue to give it to you weekly. Head over and become a supporter for the price of a coffee today. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they're going to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Jonathan Rigo! Connor Buckley, thanks so much for doing Irishman Abroad. I think that the place to start here is what we've all just lived through in the last two years and how a lot of people in lockdown decided, you know, I'm going to start running or I'm going to actually I'm going to learn that language. And for most people that just fell off a cliff, they started doing it and then they didn't. You were cut adrift by the pandemic working in hospitality, but you had that moment too where you said, no, I'm going to use this time to do something big. Do you remember that moment? Thanks, Charlotte, for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I'm honoured to be on the show, uh, First, firstly. That question has been asked to me a few times and I can never articulate it properly how I went from being, I would say, close to addicted to, to work and corporate sales and meetings with corporates and bringing in big revenue to stopping and thinking, I need to do something different. Mm. I'm naturally quite risk averse, would you believe? So to be, I think, Charlotte, you know what? It was like two worlds colliding in a sense of the corporate world and my mom, my mom, her name was Christine Buckley and she was a campaigner. And she was an activist and she always talked about your purpose in life. And she had a very strong purpose and her purpose was to, without getting too much into the detail of this, was to expose the abuses in the Catholic Church and to expose the abuses in institutions. Mm. And she did this in a very famous in a gay burn show in, in 1993. And subsequently, there was a documentary made and subsequently about her life. And then subsequently, there was other documentaries. But I'm, I'm diversing a little bit. And I just felt like I wanted to do something that would give something back to people, that would give me a real purpose, not just generating mm -hmm. revenue for a big hospitality company. So when people um, go, when people ask you the question, you know, like I did just there, I guess it it underplays having 
been raised around that level of purpose and that kind of drive and that energy that that requires, you obviously she, had this thought a long yeah. time ago and it yeah, percolated she, and came out at this time. Yeah, exactly. Charlotte. Like there's a video online of her. She starts off talking about her purpose and you'll, it's quite moving actually when you watch it. And I'll never forget her best. I would say one of the best days of her life was in 1999. She came home and Bertie and her had made a public apology to the nation, to victims of institutional abuse. And she came home crying. And I and then that was such an achievement. That was years of of mm. trying to prove what happened to them in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s was true for her 50s, 60s, 70s. And what I think what I think, and then subsequently the Ryan report came out, which basically vindicated them and and, and backed up everything that she and uh, uh, all survivors had said. And I thought, what a what an amazing achievement to be able to help. She set up a center for victims of institutional abuse. And I thought, what an amazing thing to be able to do for people. And when you go into the center, you can see people's lives have been changed. So we want to do something sm like this is very small compared to what she achieved. But we want to do something that would be a little bit more giving back to people. And then secondly, that I could be as proud, sorry, around this time, which is really important, I guess, in a way, once lockdown kicked in, I think Paddy's Day was the first time it was fully kicked in, Paddy's yeah. Day 2020. 2020, yeah. Um, and my firstborn child was born on the 27th of March. So Paddy's Day the 17th, he was born on the 27th. And I switched off literally for those six to eight weeks and was completely engrossed with him. And I didn't think we were going to be able to have a child because we'd, we'd struggled mm. before that for a couple of years. Miscarriage is an atopic pregnancy. So this came along, was just an, just incredible for us. And I looked at him and I thought, I want to be as proud. I want to be proud. I want him to be as proud as me as I was of my mum, if that yeah. makes sense. It does completely because I know that a lot of people will also connect with that feeling that what I'm doing right now isn't enough, especially when you think about if you have this person on a pedestal like you, your mom and rightly so you you're tr you're trying to emulate that example. Are you at that time thinking, well, what is my example to this little human being uh, like the sales thing, having worked in an office and having immediately found it hollow like I I enjoyed it and I really love the buzz of it all but I got I got to that place of going is this what I'm going to leave behind <laughs> in, in yeah, six months it is and if you've got a picture you're 10 next you know at our age Charlie, like we're the same vintage you you have to visualize yourself is this what I'm doing for the next 10 years mm. or the next 15 years am I going to be happy in five to ten years doing this you know, and maybe look only, you know, I know people can change career, but when you get to our age, you think, okay, this is my life doing this. Am I going to be happy doing this? And mm. for me, I, I wasn't that I'd be unhappy, but I thought I could do more. And also I wanted to challenge myself as well. You know, I wanted to say, okay, can you do something that's, that's different in a, in a way? If you had said to me, two years before, even a year before, you'll be setting up a clothing business, a fashion business. I would just not, wouldn't have believed you. I just, I just, yeah. no, I just couldn't. I, I couldn't <laughs> I have. Mean, if you told me I was going to be leaving, leaving this hospitality company I worked in, I would have thought no chance. Yeah, you see this, this is the thing that you were a fixture. I mean, you were a well-known man in your business. Like the, I'd imagine that the, Connor Buckley that would have said no chance obviously didn't know a pandemic was coming, didn't know that this little human being was about to spring into life, I thought that both of those things were probably as unlikely as each other. But, you know, it did like people always talk about this reflection that uh, lockdown and the pandemic brought about when you settle on <laughs> it's actually going to be a clothing company. Does that happen? quickly or slowly like did you look down other paths as to well what can i create that's going to have an actual impact yeah good question the clothing i at the when so 
our, my boy, our boy Jonah was born on the 27th of March. Work stopped, and I, you mentioned something. This ref, you mentioned the word reflection. You reflect and say, "Is this making me happy? Is this what I want to do?" And then George Floyd passes away on the 25th of May, mm. and a lot of deep feelings came out, not just for me, but for a lot of people in the black community. And I had a couple of friends that were living in different countries that I just wanted to touch base with. First of all, my brother called over and I said, how are you feeling about, gee, I, I said, you can, you can believe what happened to poor George Floyd there and what that cop did. And he was really upset. And I was surprised to see how upset he was. Like he, like, you know, he was like, uh, you know, his company offered counseling. And he says, I might take that, take, take them up on that. Mm. So he's trying to reach out to black people and this is hard, I guess, to understand in some ways, Jordan, because we yeah. never met George Floyd. But people were, like, black people were unbelievably upset by it. People, like, this guy lived, um, obviously, miles, thousands of miles away. But I, I, I know people who went for counselling, black people. That's how upset they were by it. And that hit a nerve with me as well, him passing away. So I thought that, look, we whatever I wanted to do, I wanted to be some type of, I started doing a little bit of activist work or he asked us to do a couple of things. A guy approached me about doing a documentary and subsequently we, we did the, we did the, the RT show, but we didn't, we are, we're still working on the documentary and it made me just think differently about, okay, how we view the world. And I started doing a bit of research myself. And, and your role felt- in it though, Connor, like just really quick, like when you say I started doing a bit of activist work and RT, those are big moves just in terms of you engaging. And I'd imagine that it comes with a certain amount of fear because the second you step forward and go, no, I'm going to say a few things now, I'm going to do a few things now, you are setting yourself up to be hit with a few stones. Did that cross Definitely. your mind? It it did. And one person approached, said to me, you're, you better try and hide your identity online or you, you better hide your identity so people can't see where you live and this kind of thing. Because I know people before me did it, and one girl called Emer O'Neill, and she had all this graffiti painted around her area about her saying awful things. Like, hmm. like she's come out, publicly saying a lot of these things so i don't think i'm speaking out of term but like emer o'neill is a slush and mm. shut the fuck up emer o'neill and all these things just because she started talking about how she felt about being discriminated against in the past i know um, she'd been on the show talking about it actually we did oh, that episode yeah. i think and it's incredible the eight months that she's had since then like her like her life has changed and i'd imagine that seeing that example you know there's that fear too that like you kind of don't know what's on the other side of this once you do speak up. Definitely. Yeah. But, and I spoke to a couple of people who deal with hate and discrimination in, in Facebook and a couple other um, institutions. And they were telling me what happens as well, how these people get together and start abusing you online. And, and it's got, that's good. That's, that's scary. I probably didn't go as strong on it as Emer, to mm. be fair. And I was still educating myself on it. So I didn't want to come across like I know all the answers because I still don't know all the answers. You know, I'm, I am still learning. And I, I felt that there was a couple of things that I wanted to get across originally when I wanted to talk about it. One of the most interesting thing, one of the most basic things is, Charlotte, is so I'm mixed heritage. Well, I might say mixed race. Most people would describe me as being mixed race. Yeah. But actually, there was only one race, the human race. And I found that fascinating that this myth of race had been created mm. in, in the 1500s, a bit like Bitcoin was created in order to justify slavery. And I don't want to get too heavy on your listeners now. No, no, they, they love this. Keep going, man. Don't, don't worry um, about them. I was genuinely, as a, I would see myself as being a black person, I was genuinely interested in saying, wait a second, this myth of race was created just to fight slavery. And the fact there's only one race, the human race. And I started looking at uh, um, different people discuss, discussing it. And I was really, like, really interested to see, well, if you've got different races, of course, there's going to be divisions. If you, and it sounds really simple, Charlotte, but like when you think that people are like Asians or different race to white people, of course, there's going to be div, div, division, you know? Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that. And I want but I, I said, what's the best way to discuss this in some ways or to promote what we're talking about? Well, one, I don't want to force my opinions on people. So that's why even now I'm trying to, I don't want to go too deep down a rabbit hole on it. But two, I thought, okay, Close your most visible asset. 
So can we do some subtle messaging on clothes to get this point across where everyone feels comfortable wearing them? And then can we build it in once we start building the brand? So I guess our first signature logo was the equal sign for equality, because I felt like anyone can be happy wearing that. There's not a, it's not a big, strong statement saying, you know, I, I guess a lot, let me think about bold statements. Well, one would be more blacks, more Irish, uh, more dogs, you know, those t-shirts yeah, that are yeah. loud and, you know, they're sure. very, it's not, a, it's not a Palestinian fist in the air or anything. It's just an equals. You can't exactly. really argue so, with an equals. Yeah, exactly. That's what we thought. Like, we thought, hold on a second. You want to be really, like a really bad person to say that you don't believe in that or that, or that type of equality. So we said, okay, if we can get people to believe in equality at the most, in the smallest level, well, then we can build on that platform. In our, and I actually, I read a bit of social psychologist called, um, his name's Robert Caldini. I've probably spelled his, his name or, or pronounced his name wrong, but he talked about that before. He talked about how, in order to change people's mindset, you have to give s- small steps. You know, there has to be a small steps. So the equality symbol is our first step, and we've got a couple of more steps to go, mm. where we're not gonna, we're never gonna bombard people with like big logos under under jumpers or anything like that. But we just more stronger steps and this is all about building allyship as well and the, the what i would love Charlie, i guess what success looks like for us is that if you and i are in a pub and this happened to me two or three years ago because one of my friends said oh you didn't get too much racist abuse before did you and i said to him well, a really good friend of mine and i said we we're in a pub there at this time it was when he said it to me it was a year ago i was during COVID, so i, I said we were in a pub about a year and a half ago and this guy called me the n-word in the pub it was 3 p.m. in the day in the middle of town. I was getting on well with this guy in the bathroom. We're both washing our hands, talking about there's a match on TV, a rugby match on TV. And he's a nice guy. And he said, see you later, N-word. And I went out and I told you. I said, we should go over to his friends because they seemed like really nice people. Yeah. And say, look, I'm going to be polite to you about this, but your friend called me the N-word. He might have had a few drinks. It's unacceptable. You should talk to him about it tomorrow. You know, because that's just not acceptable. Mm. And you and the lad said, leave it, leave a book. Oh, it's not, not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. And he went, oh, Jesus, I remember that now. You're pretty upset about that. I was like, uh, yeah, um, exactly. Amazing that, 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 that that's his recollection. That, that like, first of all, yeah. that he didn't remember it. And second of all, yeah. <laughs> that he's saying, yeah, you were pretty upset about that. Uh, yeah. And then one of the guys in, that was there at the table, I bumped, I bumped into him a couple of months ago and he actually goes, look, I haven't seen you much obviously during COVID, but I really wanted to say sorry about that incident that happened. We should have gone over to those guys. So it had been playing on this guy's mind. Mm. They're great. They're great lads. And they wouldn't, if someone came over and said something blatant in front of them, they would have reacted. But most people don't want to put themselves out of their comfort zone. And what I'm, what I'd love to see happening, and this is also, this is really on a micro level, is, and this is across, not just racism, this is across like, sexism whatever it is that the person who's the victim doesn't really have to go fighting the whole time for it that others would stand up and say that's not acceptable absolutely and the same way as if you see a kid being slapped in the street that nowadays we do feel empowered enough to go that's wrong i'm getting involved here but weirdly with race and racism that that's a that's a struggle isn't it yeah, it is a struggle. And, and people have been in situations with me where they've turned around and they said, like a one girl said to me before, like she was crying she, and she she rang me up during that time after uh, George Floyd and said, I'm really sorry we were in a situation there a year ago. And in a formal enough situation, someone said to you, and I should have stuck up for you. And I said, you know what, I won't say her name, but I said, you know what, it's very difficult to go, to, to stop the momentum of a conversation or whatever to go, that's not acceptable. Mm. So I completely, you know. Um, but some um, of this is obviously inspired again by your mom, because I remember reading about, you know, your first experiences of racism as a youngster, and she never went after the kid. She always went to the parents. Yeah, she, for someone who didn't have parents herself and didn't, and some, I was going to say limited education, but she did. She finished school and she went on to study nursing. She had a real, I don't know, innate, I don't know, I, would, I can't say, innate kind of thought process whereby, say, for example, my brother got really upset one day and, sorry, on your point, Charlotte, mm. she called up to the parents and said, look, obviously, 
you know, your son said this to my son. It's not his fault. He's obviously heard this from someone just to give you the heads up. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be saying that, you know? So she'd never blame the child. And we were, we were still friends after that. And she wouldn't have been, she would have been completely fair and the child. And I remember my brother came home and he was really upset. He's like, why can't we look like everyone else? And um, he was really upset about it. And my mum said, she could have said, oh, in fairness, Dara, you know, because he was lighter skinned than me and he'd lighter hair than me. Your hair is only a tiny bit curly and you're you're, you're more like, like your dad than you think because my dad's white. But she said, it's beautiful that the world's different. If, the, if we all look the same, the world will be boring. Hmm. I thought it was just a great way to say it. You and know, so to simple say, and just so, just so straightforward. So simple, so straightforward. And to own it and to be proud of it. And I think, Charlotte, when you and I were in, when, when you and I were in UCD, I think we probably use certainly the lecture dressing being different as a superpower. You know, Completely, we yeah. didn't, didn't being like, so she made us feel proud to be different, which is, which was, which was great. You know, mm. I thought that was, that was brilliant. Well, I'm, I really want to dig into the, you know, what you've created here, because it's so obvious when people go and visit wearehumancollective.com exactly how much, is underneath it's like you know you see the swan on the water there's just so much happening underneath and as you've explained in the first half an hour of our chat here you know there's there's more to this beautiful stuff that you're producing and so much of that and what you've described acknowledges and recognizes that people don't just want to wear a nice blue jumper they actually want the clothes they wear to represent and identify with their core beliefs. <laughs> that that being said, the jumper still has to be a nice jumper. How difficult were you to work with when you're brand new to the game? You don't know anything about fabrics, about how <laughs> things are sourced, where you get them from and how how this works. You said something there where you're spot on and it was I was a I, I listened to a podcast from All Birds, I think it was, the runners. I think I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. But it doesn't matter what you're doing for people or for charity, it has to look good. It mm -hmm. has to be comfortable. And that was at the forefront of our mind saying, look, people are really kind and we would not be in the position that we're in. We we wouldn't have even got this far if it wasn't for the kindness and generosity of the public um, in so many different ways. But fundamentally, you have to provide a product that people like. And that is something whereby, and we're obviously still working on it the whole time, it has to, for us, it has to be really comfortable and it has to be, people have to look good in it. So that was, and it still is, probably the biggest challenge because when you're small like us, and especially when you're new and you're starting off, you don't even have a website. No one wants to work with you. Meaning the suppliers. So, you know, no suppliers. Exactly. When, you know, when I was, when I came out of UCD and was doing events and made a, a, a decent reputation for myself and, you know, people want to work with you. And so I was used to people yeah, wanting to work picking with Picking up you. the phone. Yeah. And like whatever it was, and you know, it was it was great. Everyone was, but when you're new to the industry, no one wants to work with you. Mm. And we found it really difficult the first couple of months to try and get people to even write back to emails. And that resilience, it's tough. It's really tough. Lots of times we thought this isn't just this isn't worth it because I felt like um, I felt that. I, I, you know what the honest, honest, the honest answer is that I felt like people, I, pe people just didn't care, and why would they care? Because we're yeah. new to the game, we've and no, they and they want to make money. Exactly, and they want to, they don't, wanna, they don't want small people wasting time because I'm sure every day there's someone new that gets onto them. Yeah, and the reality is we. We didn't know enough about the industry, you know, we just didn't. And we, we got one or two people on that were specialists in the industry that had a long standing um, relationship with, with manufacturers and even they couldn't move. They couldn't get a simple, a simple jumper out in lots of ways, you know. So that's and the other thing that made it really difficult is we wanted to go up to 5XL. We wanted to be inclusive. Now, what, and again, that, yeah, so that's just about catering for everyone and being what your mission is. 
Exactly, yeah. And I'd never realised how difficult that would be. I never realised that some factories just wouldn't do it. They just like hang up the phone. And I didn't realise that some factories wouldn't work with you. You know, minimum quantity orders became like a nightmare for me. MQOs, <laughs> where you have to do big volume. And we just couldn't do it. So we, we went with smaller people that we could pay a lot more for. And then the third thing that people just didn't want to do it was organic cotton and the price of that going up and, you know, or recycled polyester. They didn't want to do sustainability. And they'd send me samples and I'd be like, this sounds, feels amazing. But I looked at the, the, the tag and it just says cotton. And they go, yeah, it is just cotton. We specifically said on the first line of the email, it has to be organic cotton. They're like, nah, we just, uh, we just, we just decided, we just decided to see if you would notice. <laughs> in case you didn't know, a couple of weeks ago, we launched a new podcast. We are back. Honey, you're ruining our kid. The parenting podcast from the Irish Men Abroad Podcast Network with me, Jarlath Regan, and our resident child behaviour professional, Tina Regan. It's okay to parent your child. If your child's on the ground having a tantrum, pick them up like a rugby ball and keep going. Don't give it any attention, but don't let them have that power either. Sounds like he's feeling like the Joker in these moments. <laughs> that he just wants to burn the world down. What is manifesting maybe is an anxiety in this child about not really knowing what's expected of him. Her mum has explained she never tells her kids to stop crying when they're hurt, as she thinks allowing them to let it out can help them develop emotionally. We're just all in this together. We're just all trying our best. That's Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid, the brand new parenting podcast exclusively available to the Irishman Abroad patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. It is funny, though, right, because it is chancerism and, you know, profiteering and business, uh, just cold, hard. Look, I know you asked for that, but here's what you really want if you want to make a few quid. And this is what needs to be said here. You're donating three euros from every jumper to your three charity partners, Sports uh, Against Racism, Ireland, uh, LGBT Ireland and the Irish Youth Foundation. That puts you behind the eight ball. If <laughs> if organic cotton and recycled polyester didn't put you behind the eight ball, that three euro commitment does. That must make yeah. getting out of the bed in the morning like you must be like a rocket. Because you essentially need to sell more and be more and do more in order for this to work. It can't kind of half work. It has to completely work. Joel, I actually feel like we've spoken before about this and we haven't. (laughs) I said to someone during the week that you would, three euro, by the way, when you're starting off a business and anything you're selling a product is an absolute, like it's a big hit. Huge chunk of the margin, um, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know how many I don't. I don't know any other clothing businesses that do. That do. I'm sorry, Patagonia give one percent. To be fair, um, mm. and I think, but their one percent is obviously huge. I don't think they gave one percent from the start, but they they give one percent, and I'm sure there are other businesses that do it. But I, I found that even though we're doing that, and it's it does it's a big chunk of the margin, it does propel you out of the bed quicker. Like it actually works, and it. We're, I know it sounds unusual, but. I don't know if you're spiritual at all, but do you ever pray for someone mm. and in some ways you feel a little bit better after it mm. because you've taken the time to think of other someone or maybe you've lit a candle for someone and in some way you get the benefit of that as well. So in a way, what we're doing, not only does it get us out of the bed, but it actually attracts good people. So it yeah. attracts good talent to the business. And then I, I never factored this in it from the start, Charlotte, to be honest, but it it really, I, I'm not sure even if it helps to sell jumpers loads, because as you said, it, they have to look good. They have to be comfortable. So we don't, we don't talk about the charities too much, to be honest with you. But what it, what it does do is that things like we got an office there complimentary for a couple of months. We got some furniture for free, really nice furniture for free, secondhand. It gets people link in with you yeah. and they offer you things that possibly you wouldn't get otherwise. So yeah, it brings out goodness. A, it magnetizes goodness it, towards you. Yeah, I'm going to use that line. That's a much better way to to, to articulate. <laughs> it magnifies goodness. So there's a, we've had a lot of people that have been really supportive of us, of us 
probably because of what we're about. But I actually don't know, does it actually help selling jumpers, to be well, honest with you? Here's the thing, because right? yeah. like my wardrobe here is an absolute calamity. I am um, <laughs> have been, you know, a little bit addicted to like like a lot of first world guys with a bit of expendable disposable income to just buying the same shite over and over and over again in different versions of the same thing. I used to be obsessed with buying black jackets <laughs> of all <laughs> of all shapes and sizes. Tina's like another another fucking black jacket. <laughs> Like, what, what are we trying to do here? Oh, listen, I'm looking at them here behind me, but like it is just a, a cycle. But equally, I've got things in there that are ethical. But it, it you can't put on your ethical jacket and people look at you and go, huh, he's wearing his ethical jacket today. That's why he looks like shit today you, he, your <laughs> jumper has to stand side by side with the Nike Thermoflex hoodie that I adore wearing to the track that is intimidating right you are you holding up the jumpers to these things like do you take do you have certain standards or certain jumpers that you've looked to and been like that's that's really the bar you're, yeah, someone said that to me early on in the journey. They said, look, if your jumper is going to be side by side, say a Nike jumper or whatever it is, and it could be an Annie and Bing jumper or mm. any jumper, people are going to go with the one that looks the best. They're not going to care about sustainability, just so you know. Yeah. you know, They're going to go whatever one they prefer, basically. It um, doesn't matter how sustainable or what it's made. It could be made out of bamboo, pineapple, whatever it is. Yeah they are going to go with, with so we had to make sure the jumpers look really good and we had to say we had to our, our messaging of sustainability act, and got cert, and we were got certified we have the highest level of certification you can get which is gots that actually comes secondary in a sense to the comfort we our our, our value proposition our, our key points are we're is about comfort so we need to have the most comfortable jumpers for people because ultimately sustainability is great and i think a lot of people in their heart of hearts want to be more sustainable and they are definitely definitely more sustainable than we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago but it has to look good it has to be comfortable and if not and if not people will just send them back you know mm. and um, did you have that moment where you you put it on and went not good enough we got to go back to the drawing board on this or we got we got samples from sri lanka italy the first one was italy which is like the home of fashion so yeah. really confident this was going to happen. Samples cost a lot of money. They arrived. We had a girl on board as consultant, and I couldn't believe how bad they were. I was like, "This is terrible." And we we dropped it over to different people, neighbors actually, in, in like around the area, and said, "Let me know what you think of this." We told them a little bit about it, and they were. I'd cycle on. I'd have a backpack and a briefcase sometimes. I'd cycle around getting people to try on jumpers, and. Honestly, we got so much bad feedback from this type of jumper and we got samples from. But incredibly God, cool of people to be honest with you, because in the same way as people giving you the the free office for a couple of months and the free furniture, I'd imagine that sometimes there's a tendency to be too to be, you know, to to magnetize a goodness that isn't helpful. Yeah, definitely. And but yeah, you're dead right. One girl, I remember just put it on straight away and goes, Connor, this feels like a 20 year old jumper from H&M. And I was like, OK, thanks, man. <laughs> you know, and we brought over, we have quality jumpers with us. We'd have like really well known jumpers with us. And we'd say compare and contrast. You know, I remember when we asked one girl to close her eyes and put them on and describe how she felt. And we did a, we did a lot of that at the early stages. And I, and I feel like suppliers, some suppliers just wanted to um they didn't care about you. They thought that, you know, you'd just be happy with us, you know? Yeah, um, sure, people so will take probably, anything. Yeah. And people yeah, really exactly. did. Yeah, and like, are we, like, you hear some horror stories about people getting really good samples and then the, the 400 can, jumpers come on off a container and they're all terrible. Like, yeah, they're nothing like the sample. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, that's a classic all, bait and switch. Like, uh, every printer I've ever worked with has done that to me. Uh, at some point or another, uh, with the exception of my current printer, I should say. <laughs> They're perfect. Those Christmas cards, lads, are 100% legit. <laughs> what you see on the website is exactly what you're going to get. But it is it is a move, isn't it? And it you, is. you've heard those horror stories 
but thankfully it hasn't happened to you. But you know what? And that's why sometimes, Gerald, when people buy from us, actually when people buy from us in general, so say we've, I'd say 70% of the people we don't know, which is great to see, because I think when you start off a business, you can get a little bit of uh, some kind of like, I don't know, angel-like syndrome where people, all your friends buy and you think, oh, I have a business here, mm. but it's just your friend. Well, you know, my friends obviously don't like me because most of them didn't buy. <laughs> most of the family members but didn't yeah, buy. Yeah, no, I do know so, what you mean. You're going to get a certain amount of goodwill to start with, goodwill sales. Exactly. And uh, as I said, about 30% of people uh, we know bought. But what I thought, those 70% of people, like I was so grateful to them because you think about it Charlotte not only am I wondering what's the product going to be like but they must be wondering what the product's going to be like even more than me mm-hmm. and like unless I was going to say maybe maybe people felt like the charities really did touch them but actually I believe that one jumper really did rocketed off for us did unbelievably well and it rocketed off because it was unique and it was different and we probably did some good influencer marketing some of the influencers have been amazing to us but ultimately, it's because it, it, it looked well. But I did feel this, grat- this gratitude towards these people. So someone spending 70 euro or 80 euro or 90 euro on one of our jumpers, I felt like this was like, this was as big as a 10, 20 grand corporate sale for me. Because mm. I thought, these people don't know me. They don't know Human Collective. And they're, in, in a sense, like, because I, I, I'm not sure what I do this, not gambling, but they're taking a chance on us, you mm. know? And I felt like, so we wrote everyone a, a personal card, Charlotte, and we still write people personal cards. Like, and we, we have a bit of catching up to do, to be honest with you. But we, over Christmas, we wrote everyone a Christmas card who bought a jumper, a jumper, and that was a that was a couple of hundred Christmas cards we had to write because we really wanted to thank them because they're taking it. In some ways, they're taking a chance on a brand they've never heard of, you know. Yeah. And no, they, and I hear it, they, and I also feel like. Um, the model that you're following there in the personal touch is again in keeping with the mission, right? But do you ever wonder that, in fact, taking that approach, you you won't be able to keep it going if it works out? Like if it if everything goes well, you're not going to be able to write those notes. I know. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could? But yeah, I, I because, our, you know, we can, we wouldn't be. I know people who do it and what they do is they actually we so we all our fulfillments in Galway. So we can't write a personalized card every time we have to have to send it out a couple of weeks later. Mm-hmm. So we have to send it a different card. So I know people who do the fulfillment at home in their houses and, you know, smaller businesses that work really well, they can write a personalized card. It's a couple of sales a day or a couple of sales a week and it works well. But it we is. do it, we, we do it, you know, afterwards. And, yeah. and I know what you mean. I, it's something that I'd love to be able to continue, but you're right. Like when, if things went really, really well, we would struggle, you know, we would struggle to keep that up. And it's a pity because gratitude is one of our, one of, one of our one of our values and yeah, you know I guess be grateful there's, an, to us. there's another way to work it in isn't there there's there's other ways that that a, a yeah. company like yours can do that and one of them is obviously the three euros i mean that's effectively the gratitude right that's the pay it forward element of the jumpers sports against racism ireland lgbt ireland and the irish youth foundation get the entire three euros, I guess it's a euro each. We originally were going to give a euro and we felt like, you know, starting off a business, you know, it's going to be really difficult to do anything more than that. And then we spoke to the three charities and we tried to understand what a euro would, would do for each charity. And Irish Youth Foundation told me that um, one euro, would you believe, can provide a hot, nutritious meal for a disadvantaged child and my mum used to talk about like not having food and having maggots in her food growing up in the orphanage and like going out to a family in Inchicore on a Sunday and heard them giving her a hot meal for the week and how much it meant to her and I felt like I could hear nearly hear her voice saying like those she used to say those poor feckers don't stand a chance because you know they can't even get it food so I thought that was really tangible to mm. be able to do that to know that um, one, literally one euro will do that yeah i thought that was really tangible and then we went to an event and we never we never planned to get 
Sari on board. We went to event to an event that they held, and I just thought it was it was an anti discrimination workshop, and I just thought it was brilliant the way they did it, the way they taught children what discrimination is. It was a it was a sports game, it was a football game. Mm. The way they really quickly they just they made the cap they made the captains the captains had to go over and talk about leadership and while the captains were talking about leadership the rest of the teams were told not to pass it to the captain and and afterwards they asked people how they felt about the how the captains felt and and it was a great way that's obviously fast practice mm. it was a great way to understand how to, to understand discrimination the basics of discrimination and 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 how it makes people feel yeah so i just mm. really I really like the CEO Perry Ogden, and I I felt like that was a really good fit for us. And um, both stories obviously connect back to your own experience of the world and your own history. But when I think about your mom Connor, and you know she's such an icon of Irish activism, courage and strength. But I wondered, growing up, if the knowledge of what she went through at any point made you feel anger or bitterness towards the world in general that would allow what she went through to take place? You're going to have me in tears now in a second, Charles. <laughs> I, I find it in some ways harder to think about it now, maybe because she's passed away at that um, mm. and maybe probably because we've two little babies now that people could do that to babies and children. That's yeah. really difficult to, 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 to try and swallow. I think I find that really difficult to be honest with you. Um, and I talk about that to my wife a lot. I just take moments out and I look at them and I say, how could someone have been left there like this? And these type of conditions, whether it's strapped, like whether it's strapped to a potty for a day or, um, just left crying for hours and hours, and I, yeah, I think that probably did resonate with me in 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 some ways. Where I, I do you know want to hear my mum's voice sometimes in in my in my head saying, I think it just makes you think. Sorry, give me a second. Sorry, All right, man. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think it's just an empathetic voice, hmm. and I. And that's the voice I hear when, when I talk to people about, you know, children in the Irish Youth Foundation. And we went to that event, to that event that Sari organized. And it was, um, it was for, it was for 30 or 40 disadvantaged children in the, in the inner city. And I thought about these guys and we weren't going to change their life that day. You know, it was, it was a, it was a games day, but I, I did think about, you know, that could be, and there's actually lots of diverse people there, which was great. I did think about that could be my mum there today, you know, mm. um, and these people don't really get much of a chance. And you definitely have a softer heart. We did, we did, we did something on Tuesday, Charlotte, and uh, normally what you do is when you do a photo shoot, you get onto your assets agencies and your model agencies and you get the professionals yeah. in. We did an open cast and we asked people from all walks of life to join us. And this woman turned up and her two sons came. And uh, I didn't realize till chatting to them during the, during the photo shoot that they're actually asylum seekers, they're refugees. And they have, uh, they can't work and they can't, um, they can't go to school. Their, their kids can't go to school. And I was thinking, and by the way, they're absolutely brilliant on the day as well. They're amazing. And, I was thinking. I was thinking. There's some, I, so I got in contact with him again to, to for a bit of work that I'll have for one of the young guys. He's twenty. And one of the kids is, is only two years of age. But um, that that definitely, I do put myself and go. Well, what, what would my mum do in this situation? Yeah. And that uh, that probably sticks with me a bit. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. And I really appreciate you saying it and I really appreciate you trying to articulate it because it is understandably tough. And that's why I asked the question. It wasn't to try and engineer a situation where you get emotional. It's because I couldn't imagine I would have the energy and this dynamism that everybody associates with you had my mom gone through what your mom went through 
had I known from an early age that I live in a world where this could take place. And everybody's moving on and getting on with it. Nobody's really that fussed about it too much until 1993 through 96. And only because she's so unique. Only because of her being as special as she was. You emerge from that situation with, like I say, this dynamism that, you know, I knew from university and, you know, you then you're a star athlete, you represent Ireland and there had to be a time there where it looked like that would be the path you'd go down. Am I wrong in saying that? Sorry. Yeah, just I guess on, on my mom, the one thing I guess I have to say is she was very positive. You know, she was yeah. great fun. She, you might have just left her. She actually went back to UCD. Mm, I remember, and, yeah, yeah. And she would be, she'd be around the place, and she'd be like, like, you know, most people be a little bit embarrassed. Her mum shouting across the, <laughs> the halls or whatever, your name, you know, and like, you know, she, she, she stood out there, not a butter, big afro, you know, shouting across the hall. But she, she, she was always really positive. She loved the fun of life. She loved young people. She used to always say to me, I love young people. So I could walk into, I can't remember what the name of the cafe there when you walk in there to the, oh, to the block. And, <laughs> yeah, that's what, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she and she'd be there chatting to one of my pals or two of my pals or three of my mates and she really loved young people. So I have to say she, the positivity that she would have, she she loved people and I definitely think I got that from her mm. um, in terms of listening and talking to people. Um, and overall, there wasn't this, you know, she didn't go on about poor me, poor me either, you know, mm. like she, she was obviously a, a survivor and a victim of abuse, but she, she didn't go on and on like that. You know, she was more uplift, more upbeat and more positive and more fun loving than most people. And I think that was important, you know. Um, yeah. And also, like you said, she always uh, you've said a couple of times, she would always uh, take the credit for any uh, achievements you had on the field of play. She would say <laughs> she got that from me. <laughs> yeah she's yeah she's like her and my dad are a complete opposite which was which was probably worked for them but um i only thought about it during the week jarlish well, no probably not during the week but in the last two or three weeks that the last time something like this this shift would have happened to me because I mean, you brought up sports mm. i was playing okay level rugby decent level rugby but I was really into it. Like I was really wanted to be a professional rugby player. Right. And I hurt my shoulder badly. And I looked at the, a game like two weeks later in the sling and I thought to myself, I'll never be good enough here. Like I'll never be good really? enough. I knew my limitations. Actually, my dad said that to me. It's the only kind of half compliment my dad's given me before he goes, the good thing about you is you know your limitations. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> and, uh, uh, he goes. I, he goes. That's what. That's what rugby. I think taught you. And I said, I'll never be good enough. And you know what? I actually don't really like this game too much. I've always loved soccer more. I'm always been more into football. I love the people in football. I love the atmosphere of football matches. I just, you know, and I just love playing it. And I never played again. Wow! A, I didn't yeah, I know that stopped. was the story. Yeah, 21. My mum was always really upset about me stopping because at the time I was training with the Ireland 21s. And like there was, you know, you know, there was these academies set up and everything and you could have yeah. possibly done something. But I knew deep down I was never going to be good enough and I didn't enjoy it enough either. And as soon as I hurt myself and stopped and, and fell off the hamster wheel of it, a bit like what I was doing with in um, sales wise. Yeah. yeah, the corporate world. I thought, well, I actually don't really enjoy this too much. And I definitely do I even would I even really want to be become a professional? Yeah, Don't think so. Very, very alluring for a lot of young fellas that age, especially as you say, performing at that level. Like it seems to be, you know, this, you know, big prize for so many teenage boys now in Ireland that like it's yeah. and you were you were arriving at just the kind of the precipice of it being. Yeah. You, you know, I know Driscoll just shot off into yes. Brian O'Driscoll. He you know, just he, had the, tr just the hat trick up. in Paris and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember playing in universities the, the, the night before against France. And 
the next day we went to that game and O'Driscoll scored the hat-trick and you thought, well, you know, we t- obviously he's incredible. <laughs> but at the time, a lot of people thought like that were around my time going, well, he's, you know, he's good, but he's not unbelievable. <laughs> and obviously what he went on to do was insane, you know, yeah. and he is like the best ever. But um, you, you thought that you could get in touching distance of, of someone like that, but actually you can't. <laughs> well, well, actually, well, I, I, mean, I want to dig into this for a second because like... Uh, I don't know of too many people that have had an injury and then looked back and kind of come out of the injury and gone. It's like when they turn the lights on at the disco Mm, (laughs) and you go, go, who who was she? Like, was that the same? That's not, that's not not her, is it? You you looked at rugby that way and went... Uh, I don't remember like I don't remember what I fancied here yeah I I know and it really like it actually kind of actually broke my mum's heart because she really wanted me to keep playing and in in some ways uh, I could have you know I could have just kept playing and, and as I said may I don't even want to say maybe done something because I genuinely don't think I was good enough to be honest with you and I started they made a decision then to take over the Commerce and Economic Society. And I knew the way, you know yourself, the way your nights run and freshers weeks and all that stuff, that I wouldn't be able to do both, you know. It's uh, a full-time job. Yeah. Yeah, it's a full-time job. And and, and I would have taken rugby ultra seriously, which you have to do. Um, and I I went back playing soccer and I enjoyed it so much. I loved it. And I still play now and I just, I'm, I love football. You know, I, I, so I, I've no regrets on it. But my mum... Even like the week before she passed away, oxygen mask on, took the mask off and was like, <laughs> some guy got picked ahead of me for our skills once. And she said, she told out his name. She goes, how did he get picked ahead of you? <laughs> no way. Yeah. Still it on still her mind. Bothered. Yeah, still bothered. It really, really bothered you. She really did. <laughs> you know, man, this, uh, this thing you've created is... Uh, just such a beautiful thing. And I think today we've properly had the space and time to get underneath it and see how it came about, why why it's here and why people can trust that if they want to put their money down and get themselves one of these jumpers from wearehumancollective.com, that it's the money's going the right place. The item you're getting is of the highest quality and uh you're doing something good. You'll be wearing something good, not just anything. I want to say a massive thank you for taking the time to do it because I know how flat out you are busy with it. So, Connor, thank you so much for doing this. And thank uh, you yeah, so much, hopefully really our paths cross in person soon. Thank you. What, uh, what a man and what a chat. What a fun conversation that was. Head over to wearehumancollective.com and support this brilliant business. I have to say, this stuff looks amazing. And when you know what's behind it, I think you just feel better putting on that jumper rather than one of the ones you already have. Why not support this new Irish venture? They deliver everywhere in the world. And by the sounds of things you'll get at the moment, you'll get a thank you note from Connor himself. But hopefully they get so big that 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 can't be done. As I said, thanks to Connor for doing this Uh, massively busy man, squeezed it in, made this episode possible. Huge thanks to Brian Connolly on sound, as always, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. Why not make it this week, the week that you come on over and enjoy full episodes? We made this episode available for free to everyone. But every single week you can get the full length episode of Irish Man Abroad by simply signing up for the price of a coffee to be a supporter of our show. It's the only way we can keep the lights on at Irish Man Abroad is through our supporters. You get an awful lot in return. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Irish Man Abroad to see exactly what I'm talking about. I will chat to you on Tuesday when Sonia Sullivan returns. <laughs>